It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and also 3 p.m. Pacific Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com and also now on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, February 14th, 2021. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and I hope you're all staying safe and warm wherever you are. We're in the midst of a big freeze here in Texas, and I feel like I'm back up north where I grew up. It is the coldest uh, it's ever been for this long um, since I moved to Texas 18 years ago. And I think much of the country is in a big freeze right now, so I hope that you are staying warm while we keep you informed. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this show, is here to make the program run smoothly as usual. And we have another great program in store for you this evening. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined from Los Angeles by Tim Kress, author of You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun and host of the podcast Time Out for Mental Health. And he'll be discussing mental health for men and toxic masculinity. And then later in the show, Marlon Campbell joins us from Queens, from the other coast, (laughs) from Queens, New York. And he's the executive director of Theater of the Living Word, a theater company with over three decades of community drama. And he'll be talking to us about um, community theater in the days of COVID. And along the way, we'll also hear about another Mexico destination by the twins, Minerva and Ruben, who join us from Bay of Bandadas, Mexico. And with the little time I have in between, I'll start the topic of taking care of our own hearts for Valentine's Day with forgiveness, even without apology and reconciliation. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my guests. And my email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can also hear this evening's program, or you can hear this evening's program again if you want to by going to my website later tonight and a link to the podcast along with any website links or important information that we discuss on this show. That will be posted later tonight on my website, drmarakarpel.com. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio. That's B-L-O-G talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can also hear it five minutes after the show on Apple Podcasts. And you can hear all the prior shows 
from Blog Talk Radio by going to my website, um, also by going directly to Blog Talk Radio and also going to Apple Podcasts. And for upcoming shows and upcoming events, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a very brief break. Don't go anywhere. It's going to be very brief. We're going to be right back. And joining us on the phone will be Tim Kras, author of You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun and host of Time Out for Mental Health. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Worried about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years, specializing in in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia. Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the facts. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's Disease and Memory Disorders Center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, Everything You Want to Know But Forget to Ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone from Los Angeles, California, we have Tim Kraft, author of You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun and the host of the podcast, Time Out for Mental Health. And Tim is here to discuss mental health for men and toxic masculinity. Welcome, Tim. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Dr. Mara. Thank you for joining us. I just want to mention before we go on, there's a slight delay when we talk like this. So it's it's good for us to know, to keep that in mind, and for our listeners also to, <laughs> to know. Um, how are things there in L.A.? We're freezing here in Austin. I heard, I heard. It's like 10 degrees going to be tonight there. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. We are very lucky always in California. It's uh, in the low 60s and sunny today, so we'll take oh, it. Nice. It's a little chilly for us, but we'll take it. Very nice. So I would take that too. So, so Tim, <laughs> I'm, I'm so <laughs> I'm so glad that um, you can join us this evening. I think that, um, you know, what you write about and what your podcast is about is so important, and we don't really hear that much about it. Um, Before we we jump into the meat of it, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of information about your history? Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, and, you know, my story was 
the genesis for the work that I'm doing right now because, um, you know, when I went to college, I looked back and realized that I grew up in a middle-class household that I thought was normal, but my mother and father, who were doing their best, were abusive in mentally, physically, verbally, and I didn't realize that until I got out of the house. And once I went to college and was introduced to marijuana, uh, that was the numbing agent that I used to feel better about what I was doing and how I felt. Obviously, mm-hmm. it, it hurt my my grades and hurt my health, but um, I, that started a 41-year run on marijuana, even when I was uh, an executive in television at Fox and Univision. And mm. um, and I used to challenge myself to see how high I could get and then maintain in a negotiation with some of the largest media companies in the world <laughs> and their, litig- their litigators. So, um, you know, I didn't realize it until I stopped. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I had a uh, uh, crash when 2008, 2009, um, they sold the company I was working with and I was, they replaced all the executives and I tried something on my own, but it didn't work. And I thought I could get a job, but I couldn't. So, um, you know, I, my job became medicating myself on, on pot. And one night I woke up at three in the morning and my head felt like it was in an incinerator and I threw some cold water on my face and went back into bed and nothing changed after two minutes. And I called 911 and next thing I know, we're off and running to the hospital and they put a stent in my heart and I had a heart attack, 99% blockage in one of my arteries. And, uh, but Within three hours, my primary care physician woke me up in intensive care and said, you got here so quickly that they put a stent in your heart, but there's no heart damage at all. Wow. Yeah, that was was a a godsend for sure. Mm -hmm. And and then I realized um, that I needed to get some help in some way, and I started going to some 12-step meetings and started to get sober, but that the first year of sobriety is extremely difficult. And finally, after about six months, um, I was referred to a psychiatrist who, for the first time, properly diagnosed me with severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring. Mm-hmm. And he said that was that was the reason that I was smoking pot so much. So he treated me and it's been over eight years and I've never felt better in my life. Mm -hmm. And I feel Mm -hmm. that I've gotten to my authentic self 
and and I'm on my purpose because I don't want others to have to go through what I went through because it was so painful and that's why I'm I've written a book and have a podcast and I'm about ready to go out on a speaking tour. So, uh, like you said, so many people, especially men don't know that they even have depression. 300 million people Mm -hmm. in the world have depression, but only 150 million, half of those get treatment. Mm -hmm. And I thought my biggest, my biggest, opportunity to help the world was to let men and women know that if they don't feel right, if they feel off, just like when they have a physical issue, they break their leg, they have to go to the doctor. Same thing with mental health. There's there's nothing different. If you get a physical checkup once a year, you should get a mental health checkup every year. And it's so hard for men to take that step. And what I put together was that masculinity norms were the reason that men were not readily able to take that step and ask for help. They thought that they could take care of the issue or it would just go away. And they didn't want to be perceived as, as a feminine man. And they thought it was a week when, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to ask you like maybe, and maybe you're already getting on that, but what is toxic masculinity? We hear that term a lot and some people, you know, poo poo it and say, Oh, you know, that's, you know, just a bunch of jargon, but it's real. Um, Maybe you can explain what that is. What, What is toxic masculinity? Sure. I'll tell you about what's toxic masculinity, and I'll tell you how I view healthy masculinity as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Toxic masculinity is the man that goes around with a big ego, and that's what's driving him. He's all about the bigger, better deal. You know, I want to earn the most money. I want to have the biggest, shiniest, most expensive car. I want to have the greatest clothes in the world. And when I go out on a date, I'm going to be the one dominating the conversation, telling the woman why I'm so great. Mm -hmm. Immediately turns off the woman because (laughs) she wants to have the man listen to her. She wants to be heard. And she doesn't want to be fixed, but she wants a man that will listen to her and empathize with her and listen to who she is and what she's about. And mm-hmm. the, the, the toxic masculinity, um, it, it just takes over and the ego takes over and the man can't believe that the woman is not so excited to be with him because he thinks he's the greatest thing on earth. And uh, it shows up not, not only at home, but in the workplace. And in the workplace, you know, the good old boy network is still alive and well. 
And, you know, the vice president of the company is a man, and he hires his buddy who may not be the best leader of the group. He hires him as the, the manager. And you've got on your team men and women, and the women have something to contribute. And they go ask the the man for that space and opportunity to make the contribution. And he says, yeah, you might be right, but you're a woman. And thus women have to take a look at their options, which they could go to HR and either they could be terminated or they could get some help or they can sit in the back row doodling on their notebook and just wasting time or three, they can go look for a thriving environment that where they can contribute and make the productivity of that team of that company a hundred percent or more by working together with all races and genders and creeds so that, you know, the team maximizes everything it, it possibly can. So mm-hmm. that's toxic masculinity. On the flip side of that, and this is where so many men just don't understand what healthy masculinity is. And, you know, for me, it's, it's a three-sided triangle. And the first side, I nicknamed Clint for Clint Eastwood, being the uh-huh. big, big tough. And um, means that, yes, you're strong, you can carry the piano down the stairs, but also <laughs> you're, you're strong in that you're able to have that conversation with your wife, your child, somebody at work, your boss, and you know the truth is might hurt the other person, but it's necessary that that discussion happens. And that's what men need to do is, is they need to create an environment and a space for women and everybody in their life to feel safe in an environment to be who they are, contribute everything that they have and the man still be comfortable with that and allow that to happen because things can get bigger and better from there by working together and relationships are better. And, you know, a lot of times the man comes home and he expects his wife to have the dinner on the table and she wants to talk and he's busy gulping down his food, and then he goes, lays on the couch and falls asleep, and she's getting ready. She wants to tell her husband how her day went, and he's not having it. He's asleep, then he he's asleep on the couch, then he decides to go to bed, and she is really upset because that man, too toxic, he's, he's, his ego he won't listen to what the woman has to say. He doesn't want to listen. 
and he doesn't want to empathize with her or create that space for a woman to be herself. Mm-hmm. And by mm-hmm. by a man having that strength to make sure that that environment is clear and clean for the woman to make her voice heard, that's very important about being a man and having healthy masculinity. The second part of the triangle is called curly, for curly and the three stooges. Uh-huh. Men have to, men have to have a sense of humor. They can't take life so seriously all the time. And, you know, life is to be enjoyed and to be happy. And, you know, men are so serious that sometimes they don't create that in their environment as well. And it makes things very tense and very stressful. And the third part of the triangle I call uh, Gandhi for spirituality, that whatever spirituality a man is connected to, whatever source, his choice, however he sees the creator or the higher power, he needs to have some type of spiritual connection to ground himself. And if a man has all three of those sides of that triangle, then I believe he's practicing healthy masculinity, which is what women want. So much of what we hear today is, is, oh, you know, we have to talk about women not being treated properly in the workplace or at home. Well, that's, that's fine. But more importantly, let's get to the root of the issue that at a young age, kids, boys need to be taught healthy masculinity so that they don't learn the, the poisonous, toxic masculinity norms that they grew up with from their father, who, again, was doing his best, but that's how his parents did it, was by not having any emotions and just screaming and yelling and not being available, not having that discussion with, with his son about what it is to be a man and what mm-hmm. it is to, to be with women and how they should be treated. That's, that's the route that where education has to come in and educate these young men so that they're healthy when they grow up. I, I think that you, you made a really good point that, um, you, know, the, you know, right now everybody's going, trying to fix a problem. It's sort of backwards, right? We're fixing the problem exactly. of... of women's safety in the workplace or women's safety in general, walking down the street late at night. Um, (laughs) Right. But the problem wouldn't be a problem if, if at the beginning of of their life, boys were taught, you know, to behave in a healthier way that um, I think that's a great point. Um, So, so let me let me ask you this question. How does this, you know, healthier masculinity relate to mental health in men? Well, because like myself, I had depression, severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring and I didn't know it. 
And when mental health issues like depression or other things don't get checked, that's when risky behavior shows up. Men go to alcohol. Men go to drugs. Men go to pills. Men go to violence, to fighting, to uh, getting into fights, to Mm-hmm. maybe domestic violence, maybe rape. And unfortunately, I've had a lot of friends commit suicide because mm-hmm. they had mental health issues and they got no help for it. And mental health, like I said, is as important as physical health. And this is, mental health is, is where everything emanates from as far as a man is concerned he's got to have healthy behaviors if he has mental health issues they've got to be taken care of at a young age otherwise they get into those behaviors that i spoke of and they they really don't fit into society they lose their job they they constantly lose their girlfriends and Mental health is really the root of the issue. It, you know, cause and effect. It's not the alcohol or drugs. It's the mental health issues underneath that that are causing right. un- unchecked mental health to create this behavior in people that is is not right. So, so do you think that to- to- toxic masculinity is what? prevents men from going for help or, you know, even, uh, you know, admitting that they might have a mental health issue? Yeah, uh, that's, you know, they grew up with their father who Mm -hmm. was emotionless and never talked about his feelings or emotions, never talked to his son about what it is to be a man and what healthy masculinity is and how to be with a woman. And that toxicity, they start acting out in that because they've, by osmosis, have acquired this toxic masculinity norm. Their father taught them whether it was audible or not, whether even if he was silent and then the father, you know, started yelling and screaming and hitting kids and hitting his wife and drinking, you know, underneath that is the mental health issue. So it gets passed on and on mm-hmm. unless, unless the man understands that he's got to get his mental health issue treated and it, most importantly, on an annual basis, get a checkup. You're getting a physical checkup. Get a mental health checkup. Mm-hmm. Demand it from your mm-hmm. primary care physician so that you can root out these issues before it comes before it comes a, becomes a problem. Right. So now you have this podcast. I know we're running out of time, and I I want to have I would love to have you come back and talk more because this is a really big sure. issue. But I want to make sure that people know, you know, how they can 
listen to your show and, and get your book. Um, how, how can people hear your podcast? Like yourself, my podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, most, most podcast uh, outlets, as well as I'm also on the Mental Health Radio News Network, and I'm also on a internet audio uh, radio show called a site called healthylife.net. And um, that show is, is uh, that radio uh, internet radio station is an international radio station. So it's heard in over 65 countries and um, mm-hmm. time out for mental health is the name of it. And you can just go to my website, timcraft.com, T-I-M-K-R-A-S as in Sam, S as in Sam.com. And all of my podcasts are posted there as well as my story and uh, excerpts from my book, which uh, we're trying to get a publisher to Go forward with that. We've got a, a few publishers that my literary agent and myself are talking to, and they love the topic, and uh, they want to see that message get out there. And by the way, many of the feedback, much of the feedback that I get online is from women who, mm-hmm. like yourself, are just <laughs> applauding the work because they've been victims of this toxic right. masculinity and personal lives and they're they need their men to be real men mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right we can't do it alone we can't fix everything that <laughs> takes two to tango as they say exactly exactly well i'm so glad that you're doing this and you're getting this word out because it's so important really really important you know and um and as i said i'd love to have you come back on the program um, maybe in the, you know, when you have a break from your tour, um, because it's so important and I know it's such a big topic and, and I, you know, I feel like there's more to talk about. Anytime, Dr. Mara, I'll be glad to. Okay. I, I love talking about this because it's so important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Thank you so much for being on the program and good luck with the tour and with the launch of your book and let's be in touch. Great. I really appreciate it and stay warm and stay healthy in Texas. Yes. 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 Try (laughs) and you stay safe. Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. We're going to take a very brief break. Um, Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. All right, and we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell in your golden years. 
right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And in just a few minutes that I have before we go on, you know, we have a packed show, um, I, I want to at least start the topic. Um, I might not finish it tonight, but I want to at least start the topic of forgiveness because it's, thank, it's Valentine's. I'm getting my holidays mixed up. <laughs> stuck inside um, for a month, it's Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day is all about the heart, and um, I want to focus on what we can do to love ourselves, because, you know, we need to be our own Valentine. We need to be our biggest Valentine. No matter who else is in our lives, we have to love ourselves in order to be there for other people, and one of the things that we can do for ourselves is to work on this process of forgiveness. And I say work on it because, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, just forgive, just forgive and forget. And the reality is if you've ever tried that if, uh, about something that really hurt you, I don't mean small things. Small things, yeah, you can just forgive and forget. And I think that, you know, we don't want to be nitpicky about every little thing that happens <laughs> in our lives, but we need, you know, when there are bigger things where we feel hurt or even if we're angry at ourselves, um, it's a process to forgive other people and to forgive ourselves. And very often when we're angry at other people about something they've done, we're also angry at ourselves because if we go deep beneath it, um, there in meditation is a good way to figure out what you're really feeling. But very often we, feel angry at ourselves, blaming ourselves maybe for being in the situation we were in or not responding right away or in saying something, but there, or wondering if we're making a big deal out of nothing. All of those we tend to put on ourselves. And so, you know, there is a process that is really helpful to figure out what you're feeling. Um, Tara Brack the uh, meditation um, teacher and therapist uh, wrote a book called Radical Compassion, and she talks about a process called RAIN, R-I-I-R-A-I-N, where the first, in, you know, when you're feeling kind of off about something or angry, um, that you take a few breaths and you recognize. R is recognize, recognize what's happening. And she says to ask yourself, what's happening inside me right now? What sensations are you feeling? What emotions are you feeling? Don't try to change it. Just notice it. And then I'm just going through this real quickly because I probably will talk about it again. Um, Then allow. And allow is to just allow life to be exactly as it is, that we can't change how something is. We can change things going forward, but we can't change this moment. And that's the same thing with our emotions, to just allow it to be. Don't judge your emotions. Just let them be. And when you do that, you might notice that they loosen a little bit when you allow them rather than trying to fight them. The third thing is to investigate, and that's where you discover with curious attention, you look at where, what am I really feeling? What is this about with sort of an interested and kind attention? That's where you discover what's underneath it. Am I feeling angry at another person 
why am I feeling angry at another person and at that person? And am I also feeling angry with myself? And then N is for nurture, to nurture yourself, to say, to give yourself, um, you know, a kind word, to say it's okay to feel this way and to do something for yourself that feels good, that brings light into your heart. Maybe even imagine somebody that you love or a higher power that you, that you believe in, that they're sending love to you. Um, that's, the, that's a process that I see as sort of like a, a, the beginning of this process of forgiveness because it helps us to understand what we're feeling. So, you know, our feelings are so complex. We can feel angry. We can feel guilty. We can feel unsafe all at the same time. So the reason for forgiveness is it, it is for us. It's not for the other person. When we forgive, we're doing it for ourselves so that we can be better in relationships and we can feel happier within ourselves, that we um, have the freedom to have more passion in our lives. Um, and it's necessary for our own well-being. It's also um, found to have many health benefits that um, holding on to anger actually causes physical illness. And so forgiveness is a release. It's a releasing us of that burden of anger. Um, but what if you feel that um, forgiveness means that it's saying it's okay for the other person to do what they're doing, what they've done? that you're giving them permission to hurt you again. Well, that's not what forgiveness is. So carry process. And it doesn't involve the other person. It's not giving permission. It's not saying it's okay. In fact, if there's no um, truth that's told be- between people, meaning there's no apology, there's no discussion of what hurt you, maybe what hurt them, why they did what they did, coming together to discuss it truthfully, openly, and then apologizing um, with real remorse. You, The reason that we want an apology, a sincere apology, is not for the words. It's because we want to have a sense that that person understands what they did so that they are less likely to do it again. So it's a feeling of safety. If we don't have that feeling of safety, then it's going to be very hard to forgive. Um, So then the other part of this is that the feeling of safety may have to come from saying, I can't reconcile with that person. I can't spend time with them because I don't feel safe. I feel safe if I don't spend time with them. And then I can forgive. I can work on the forgiveness. I understand where they're coming from. I understand that they have their own issues. Hurt people hurt people, right? But I don't have to put myself in harm's way. Or I might feel safer if I build up my strength inside to not be hurt by them, to be able to tell them, hey, you can't do that. You can't say that. You can't do that. Or it only 
spend time with that person around other people who I know, who we know will um, protect us or will that person won't act out towards us with other people around. So safety is a really important part of it. Um, forgive, even if we don't have an apology and if we, even if we know that we cannot reconcile with that person. So the most important thing to know before moving forward with forgiveness is understanding that if there is no apology or, or, or no action, and words are just words, but no action to show us that that person understands and that they're not going to do that again, um, we, we can't, we don't have to reconcile. So we can forgive without reconciling. We can decide that we're forgiving for ourselves. Now, reconciling means, again, that we might also have to apologize, that maybe we have done something. So I want to talk about this more and get more into the actual process because it actually is. I found a a four-step process for forgiveness, whether we're forgiving with an apology or without an apology. Um, Steps are the same. They just might look a little differently when we actually have that discussion with the other person or if that person is not willing versus that person is not willing to take responsibility for their behavior. And we're not willing, you know, we have to also be willing for our behavior. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop right there. And um, we're going to go on to the next question. about the Bay of Vendettas. Where are we going today? Mexico. Okay, go ahead. It's a, it's a tiny fishing village about 15 miles south of Puerto Vallarta and about 5 miles north of Yedapa with about 423 inhabitants. Mexico is a very popular beach among locals, actually one of the most popular beaches of Madera Bay. Although most of the tourists are more familiar with the Lapa. To get to Chimixto, which means Chemin, you take a boat from Boca de Tomatlan and enjoy some of the cleanest sea in Bayer Bandera. There's also a trail that takes you to the Chimixto waterfall, which is most much more large in the rainy season. You can eat at the restaurant at the waterfall or at one of the restaurants in town or on the beach. Hey, Ruben, how's the surf there? When there are swells, there are very good waves. A very long and a fun waves come out. Okay. There are several hotels that are more 
relaxing and if you want to get away from all the noise of Bayata Kimisco, it's definitely where you want to go and enjoy the beauty. Fantastic. So where are you taking us next time? Mexico City, the capital of Mexico. Okay. Stay safe. <laughs> Until next time, <laughs> adios, and adios to your rooster, too. Until next time, adios. All right, um, we're back. We just took a little trip to Mexico, to Bay of Banderas, to hear about Mexico City. And now we're on the phone with um, Marlon Campbell up in New York City in Queens. Hey, Marlon. Hey, how do you do? It's mighty cold up here. Hearing about Mexico put a little warmth on me, though. Well, just to let you know, there's a slight delay when we talk like this. Let me get that out of the way so you know so you know that. But it's snowing here in Austin. Oh, dear. The nerd said it we is, would break the earth eventually, you know. Yeah, we have been in this big freeze. Like, I have never – it's never been this way since I've been here for 18 years. Wow. And, it's going to go down to 10 degrees tonight. The wow. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah. just that's just egregious. Oh, dear. <laughs> Is there like a so, parka sharing program or something? Because I, I know there can't be a lot of winter shops around. No, there's not a lot of winter shops. And, uh, <laughs> you really can't. You really can't drive anywhere right now. It's all frozen. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Wow. Oh, I hear there's terrible, terrible weather on the highways and such. I thought I saw that on the news. I did hear about this. I'm sorry to hear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Up in Dallas, they had a huge uh, hundred car pileup. Yep. We're just not prepared down here for that kind of weather. Boy, if we could if we could trade the snow and take the warmth that you usually have, that would be fair to me. I'd be very happy. Right. <laughs> so, Marlon, um, so happy to have you on the program. And for listeners out there, I just want to let you know that I went to high school with Marlon. And <laughs> Marlon was was performing all the time, the funniest guy. So, <laughs> and it seems like that you've continued that in your life. And now you're the executive director of the Theater of the Living Word. And tell us a little bit about your your history of performance. Sure. Um, my father uh, was uh, a very straightforward fellow, so he, he just thought that this was a lark, you know. And, and I have to say that uh, a lot of my encouragement in doing this came from my mother, who was uh, more interested in arts and, uh, and poetry and this kind of thing. But I never took it seriously as a career till much later in life. Uh, when you knew me, I was, uh, we were studying a lot of science, and I thought maybe I would be a scientist. 
later on I, uh, at NYU, I studied journalism, and I thought maybe I'd be a writer. But it, in my heart, I, I always wanted to be an artist, to, to paint pictures or sculptures or something like that. And of all the things in the world, theater is a place where you can use every one of those skill sets in order to achieve your objective. Everything from, from uh, artistry to electricity to uh, uh, telling a story is contained inside of this one craft. So I am what I was supposed to be, I think. Right. Okay. And so what are you doing right now? What are you doing these days? I know you're the oh, executive director, we, but what is that We mean? just finished a, a, a program, a, a video production of William Shakespeare's Ham, uh, Macbeth. Uh, it was for our 35th anniversary as a company. We did this in partnership with the Caribbean American Repertory Theater here in New York City. Uh, we used all of the CDC guidelines. The actors were kept at a safe distance, and uh, if you ever see somebody together, they live together. It's It was very difficult to produce, but the, the work itself is something we're very proud of, and we're looking forward to taking this sort of media into our work. We're a theater company, not a film company. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it must have been very challenging this year to not be able to be in the theater. The last large production we put on was uh, August Wilson's Fences at the beginning of 2020. And then just before the whole thing crashed in, I helped a fellow put on a, a one-man production called Thurgood, about Thurgood Marshall. So after all of the lockdown and all of those things went to, into effect, the first thing we did to come out of the shadows was a video production of that one-man show. And the fellow Douglas Wade ended up winning the uh, Delco Theater Award for Best Solo Performance. Wow. So we got an idea that maybe there's a way we can make this thing work one way or the other. Mhm. Mhm. So when you're doing the when you did this production of Macbeth, so you said that people were actually acting together. It wasn't like you were all each on Zoom. Zoom oh, oh no. It was we <laughs> we I helped with a couple of productions like that, more like readings, you you know. Uh but I mm. I was hankering to do a production, a show, and we had been working on this uh since the summer of 2019. And I I never like a lot of people, I didn't know that the situation would endure for so long. So as, yeah, right. the, impending, <laughs> as the impending night drew closer, I had to open my mind to doing it a different way. Uh, our shooting schedule uh, took about a month to shoot an hour and a half program. Uh, I hear Orson mm -hmm. Welles shot Macbeth in 21 days, but he had a 600-man crew. So that <laughs> was a different right. circumstance. Uh, we separated the actors, as I say, and used a lot of trickery, even some green screen stuff. Everybody in the production is just there to be lauded because they went to extra lengths in order to, to make this happen. Uh, I'm, I'm, as I said this before, I'm the bouquet. Uh, I'm the vase to, to a great bouquet of actors. Uh, Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, Macduff, even those, those awful witches, they really brought their A-game to what we did. <laughs> okay. So um, is that now available for people to watch? 
sure. If you're on Facebook, you could find Theater of the Living Word there, TLW Show. We're also on YouTube. You can uh, check out the program there. We're just Theater of the Living Word Macbeth. Uh, it's a very recent production. Okay, cool. Um, I'm, I'm interested in seeing that. That, that sounds really good. Um, so are you, so now you said that you have some more productions that you're working on? Yes. Uh, each year we do tributes to, uh, Guyana, Jamaica, South Africa through the Caribbean American Repertory Theater, our production partners. So we're working on a production that honors the history of Guyana and Jamaica to go on later this year, as well as an excerpt. We're trying to work out an excerpt for a very funny Jamaican comedy that we produced uh, about two years ago. And we'd like to see if we could perhaps convert this thing into a video production to a show that we can work using some of the tricks that we honed putting together Macbeth. Mm-hmm. So these are going to be on video as well. That's your plan. Yes. Uh, when it's warmer, we expect to go outdoors. So there'll be mm. an opportunity to perform in that way as well. Uh, this thing is uh, like a lot of artists. Uh, the restrictions that an environment put on you uh, puts on you can can serve you in a way because my mind works discursively. I think yours is the same. You can think of a lot of different things and a lot of different directions to go in, and sometimes it's good that you have some restraints so you can go through five hundred rather than ten thousand ideas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the restrictions of how we had to do this. I said, well, we're going to cut this, and we're not going to do that, and you could forget about that. And we had to find the the golden threads that were in the production. But I had somebody ask me a question yesterday, which is my favorite question to ever hear as a producer, as, a, as an actor even. Uh, they said, how did you do that? And that's what every magician wants to hear. The last thing you want to hear is... I know how they did that, or I could have done that. So it, it's it's uh, it's amazing to even some of the actors who were in it who didn't realize what it was until they saw it put all together. Mm, okay. So, you know, in a way, the COVID pandemic has forced you to, to access another element of creativity. Another another factor that's come out of it, which has been, I think, maybe even more important, I find a lot of the small companies, the off-Broadway companies, have ended any idea of being competitive with one another. The community has banded together. We're sharing resources mm-hmm. and ideas, uh, sharing mm-hmm. artists. Queens is a it's, a, it's an enclave of the arts, it's specifically where we're from, St. Albans. is a longtime Mecca birthplace of performing artists. So mm-hmm. there's a, a clique, almost a, a crew of, uh, of artists, uh, performers, actors that work in this area. And sometimes we'd have a problem because they'd be booked over in Astoria or Flushing or Jamaica, and we had to you know, kind of wrestled to get hold of the people we wanted. But that, that's that been done for 
just about a year now. We make sure you're free when I'm working. I can put on a show a week after yours closes. I can schedule my thing one hour, two hours, five hours away. And each company seems to be working hard to support one another. Right. So kind of banding together, you know, like New Yorkers do when when the pressure's on, right? Correct. I must say we have to thank the New York State Council on the Arts who came in with some great funding for uh, smaller theater companies, uh, Caribbean American Rep. We're recipients of funding from the Blackfeed Foundation, which is just formed in the, in the midst of the, the situation in order to make it possible to put on some shows. Uh, I, I have a saying that it, the best way to support the arts is by supporting the artists. Uh, make sure they can eat and right. pay rent and you know wear clothes and and live and that way just try to build a bridge from one end to the other. Mhm. Mhm. So so um you know with it on uh video do you earn anything? I mean, do people have to pay to see it? Oh, this just, just, you always get to the point. Brilliant. Listen, uh, we uh, would we'd love if we could put a velvet rope across the door, but this is a, a different time, a different way. There's some links that are in the description. We'd be very happy to receive donations. Uh, we have a mm-hmm. Zelle and a PayPal, and we can even go to Amazon Smile and you know put a, a portion of your purchase through uh, to help our, our organization. This one was done for the specific idea of putting on this show and making sure these artists were able to, thanks to the New York State Council and the New York City Council, uh, uh, we were able to to help our artists with at least a DFS, a nobody, that we call, uh, where you don't feel stupid for doing the show, uh, uh, some funds that uh-huh. make life possible. Okay, well that's good to hear. Um, I guess the real the the one of the benefits of of this is now people can watch your show even if they're not in New York. Like I can watch it from here. In exactly. Texas. Again, right to the point. Uh, we we'd love to put two million people in the seats watching the show, uh, but this uh, this is a way to reach so many more. Uh, because it's theater, it's a very ephemeral thing. You know, the performance goes up, you see it, and then it vanishes, and we tear down the set and make it all disappear. And it's so odd to have this, which is something in our hand that that you know endures past the day when we did it. And uh, just having that opportunity, it feels strange to some of our folks who are very theater-oriented. It's Although they sometimes overlap, they do have strong parallel yet separate threads. So people work in one and not often in the other. In this case, just to be out... Uh, on the on the web and available to some new and unexpected audiences has been a, a, a great benefit to me as well as to our actors as well. As right, I say, there really right. is a silver lining to this thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think exposing people to I mean, I love the idea that you're doing Shakespeare, and um, you know, exposing people who might not normally be drawn to Shakespeare. 
That's right. You know, uh, we mm-hmm. we have a diverse uh, outreach, and uh, we've been paid a compliment several times where folks say, you know, this is the first time I've ever understood Shakespeare since high school where they tortured uh-huh. me. But there's we we go through the material quite intricately. We rehearsed uh, using Zoom for months and months, starting back in May of 2020. And we we went through every emotion, and we use translations into modern English sometimes to rehearse, and then go back to the uh, to the old English for performance, so that you have the correct cadence or emphasis to make it understandable. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. So the ins <laughs> and outs of performance that I wouldn't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> a trick to everything. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, um, so Marlon, if people are interested in your upcoming shows, is it the same way? Should they go to um, the sure, Facebook sure. page? Sure, sure. You, you, you can uh, check us out on Facebook. I'm uh, I'm Marlon Campbell. At Mar- I'm at MarlonCampbell.com. I'm uh, uh, putting up some new stuff there as well. And uh, Theater of the Living Word. Uh, we're all over the place. Uh, we're we're ha- hopefully. Uh, going to create a stronger online presence now that we realize this is the place where we're going to be living in the future. Uh, We're hoping that we can uh, get our online presence stronger. Can you still hear me, Marlon? I lost you here. I can still hear you. I can Can still hear hear you. Yes, I can. I'm still here. Unless, I hope I didn't get raptured. All right. I'm going to talk through the computer now. It was my phone did something weird. You know, I use my phone as a microphone here, but now I'm using the computer. Ah, Are you still there? Yes. Okay. First it starts with a little glitch on your phone, and the next thing you know, there's some fellow saying, come with me if you want to live. It's <laughs> the, the rise of the machines, my dear. Right. <laughs> so, Marlon, I am going to post those uh, your Facebook link and your website link on my um on my post my website post about this oh fantastic show. thank you i know you reach a, a fantastic audience of very alert people congratulations on the continued success in this field thank um, you. you always know what to say what to ask uh you're a wonderful person you uh, you turned out even better than i thought you would back in high school days <laughs> <laughs> Back at you, Marlon. <laughs> so, thank you so much again, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna start watching some of your shows. And again, if people want to find you know find those websites, go to drmaricarpole.com later tonight when I have a chance to put it all in there. Um, and I'd love to have you back on the show. When you're doing anytime, another- anytime. I was delighted to hear from you and glad to talk with your wonderful audience. Hello? Skynet, we shall defeat you one day.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.